Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 11th episode, I'll be talking to Rosie Fletcher, co-host of Rosie and Jessica's Day of Fun and author of the oh-so-pleasant newsletter about how having a computer ruined teenage Rosie's cultural engagement. Along the way, the show kind of becomes a quiz about Harry Potter houses, Patronuses, Patroni? Patron, Patroni? I'm, I'm not sure. We ask a lot of questions. And we also reveal why Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan are never going to be in a neighbor's reunion. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. For those who may not know you, why don't you tell us who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Ah, well, uh, I am a London-based, I believe I'm your first British guest, I'm a London-based freelance writer. I I write for various political things in the UK, but mainly I'm a unique snowflake because I host a podcast called Rosie and Jessica's Day of Fun with my big sister Jessica, and I've just started a newsletter called Oh So Pleasant that has been going a whole three weeks and has not been late once, which I consider a miracle. That is excellent work because the schedule slip is always a sign of a a project maybe not having the energy behind it. And Yeah. yeah, I've obviously, I have subscribed, I do read it. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So, Rosie, you are correct. You are my first British guest. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you grew up? Well, I grew up in, well, it's not really the suburbs of London, but I grew up in North London, so not the centre of the city, with my big sister, Jessica, and our parents. And I don't know, now I look at things and think it kind of was a bit like some of the stuff you see in in children's books. There was, you know, the mum and the dad, and we lived in a little red brick house and we would go off to the seaside for our holidays and uh, both of my parents are librarians so there are lots of books in my childhood home so that was a huge part of uh, little Rosie's formative years was just books everywhere (laughs) I was gonna say both librarians I I was gonna say either it would be all books or it would be no books no that it's all books I think the books are, are structural now I'm pretty sure if you took the books out the walls would fall down there is actually no couch it is in fact books for the top <laughs> yeah of it's just a big blanket thrown over loads of paperbacks yeah, oh dear. T- types of mold volumes one through five <laughs> is your bed <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much uh, and now I live in my grandparents house which is my my mum's parents house and Likewise, full of books. Uh, this family, all of the houses have too many books and too many pianos in the family. That's just a running thing that every house has a piano in it that not many people play. Too many pianos? It Wouldn't that be just like more than one per house? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so we only have one per house, but there's a point at which uh, I now play the piano and I play the one in this house, but for years nobody played the one in my parents' home. And, you know, you'd think, well, maybe we'll just ask so-and-so if they want a piano, but everyone already has one. Is this a normal problem that people have, that they just can't get rid of these pianos? It's that Costco problem where it's like they're cheaper if you buy the four-pack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what sort of kid was young Rosie? Loud. Precocious, I think. But I loved reading. And I, I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be an author, which I now find kind of fascinating that even at eight, I was like, I'm going to be a children's author. That's what I'm going to be. And then drifted away from that for many years and have now come back to it because I've just finished a master's in children's literature, which I feel little Rosie would be very pleased about. But um, read a lot, played a lot with her Barbie camper van, uh, was an incredibly messy <laughs> child, but is now a very painfully tidy adult. Was it that snapback where it's like at a certain point you you reformed and decided never again? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I used to remember I used to have stuff everywhere in my room, and now my room is always. I've just bought a new bed, and it is the sort of 
it's an IKEA one that is just basically white rectangles making the frame. There is, it's all clean lines, no color, no design. I, I believe that the best house is a house that looks like no one lives in it, which was not what I had as a, a childhood room because it was just things everywhere and books from the library. St sitting behind my bedroom door, reading books, that is something I recall, kind of tucked in between. I had a wardrobe just behind my door and I could kind of tuck between the wardrobe and the door to create a nook. You were a nook haver from a young age. Yes, I love <laughs> a nook. <laughs> The thing, though, with it, with those IKEA beds is, I know I, I had one, and you can get these lovely drawers that go underneath that can mm -hmm. fit all this stuff that would normally make things look messy. Mm -hmm. Except for then your cats will go to the other side of the bed and sneak in and sleep in those drawers. <laughs> and one day you will go to open it, and you'll just hear, as the cat's head hits the outside of the oh, bed no. frame. And all you see is a tail disappearing, and then you don't see that cat for the rest of the day. Okay, yeah, see... <laughs> I think I would rather have a tidy room and no cat. I don't have a cat anyway, so this isn't a problem I'll be facing soon. <laughs> Unless one comes free with the, the furniture. That would be a great bargain. You get buy three pianos for the price of two and a cat. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you have the setting for a very odd little shop. <laughs> it's like, yes. we sell pianos and we have a cat. Yeah. Terrible business plan. I always stand by the best small bookstores are the ones that have a cat that sit on the on the cash register desk. Yes, so. absolutely. Well, my friend and I have a fantasy knitting shop we want to run, and we are determined that that would have a cat in it. Well, I, I'd imagine, God, if it was a knitting shop, you'd have sort of loose yarn everywhere. You'd be you know, beating the cats off with a stick. Yeah, I think that wouldn't be a problem for us to... We wouldn't have to buy a cat. It would just turn up. <laughs> and just be like, wow, what is this magical playground? Although it was funny, I, I did go to a, a sushi train in Tremoyne in Sydney and there was a cat outside and I'm thinking you've just thought you just think you've lucked out like this is paradise <laughs> except for they won't let you pass the front door <laughs> I'm assuming sushi train is a, a a restaurant and not as I briefly thought an actual train full of sushi that would that would be amazing but no it's a, it's a restaurant with one of those conveyor belts that go around oh, in a like, circle like yo sushi yes I I, I know of them Indeed, yes. <laughs> and so there was this cat sitting outside watching all the fish go by. And mm. I thought that was rather picturesque. Yes. Oh, but it can never achieve its dreams. It's also kind of sad. I hope at the end of the day they bit. throw loads of fish its way. I imagine they would. It gets that little wasabi container from its collar. And it's a very civilized little <laughs> sushi cat. You should be writing this down. This could be a children's book. Yeah, hold this thought. Contact legal. <laughs> This is copyright. We, we, have to get it, we have to get it down first before the episode is released. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> children's books take, like, no time at all. They're, like, 12 words in them. You don't have to think about them. You do. They're very difficult to write, I should stress. <laughs> I, I've been tainted in my experience because I've seen that Black Books episode where they wrote a children's book. Yes. And I just presume that's always the process. <laughs> that you just get so you, drunk you get, and then horribly forget it the next day. And yell at each other and then have to burn it because it is, in fact, too good. Too, and it would ruin pure. your lives that you couldn't follow up on it. <laughs> I wish that were the writing process. As I, I've just <laughs> submitted my dissertation and it involved actually a lot more of just looking into a Word document and thinking, oh, I've broken this plot. Oh, I wish I could just get really drunk and create the best book ever instead. <laughs> <laughs> and co-author it with yourself with a regular keyboard and a Bluetooth keyboard on the other side and type one, yeah, one hand on Yeah, just hammering out. That would be amazing. <laughs> I'm co-authoring it with myself. Yes. <laughs> so initially when I asked you onto the show, you said you wanted to talk about how, quote, having a computer ruined teenage Rosie's cultural engagement. So <laughs> would you like to speak to that a little bit? Yes, I would. I, I think that's self-explanatory. No. So when I was about, gosh, I think maybe 15, I got a computer and it was in my bedroom. And I think now we're of an age where parents are a little more you know what am I doing with my children's screen time you know are they allowed things in their bedroom like that whereas I was just allowed a whole pc in my room rather than I went from sort of reading actual books properly engaging with what I might term real culture in a problematically snobby way to um mm -hmm. just being on live journal all the time and dossing around on the internet and I kind of view this almost plunging off like a valley. There's a sun drop off in my, my reading and my cultural engagement that just, you know, I, I wish I could say that I was one of those teens that I just spent all my holidays, I just devoured the classics. But actually, I read loads of the live journal gossip community. Oh, no, they didn't. 
Um, so I'm really good at American gossip in about from about 2005 to 2007, but I have never read any like Forster or George Eliot. <laughs> so this gossip community was this like celebrity gossip? Like what was the? It the was topic. like ce- celebrity and entertainment. It was during right. So the the main thing was when when the Dark Knight came out. It kind of became fervently obsessed with it, and there was this. It it was what I would now call memes, but had no idea what a meme was at the time. Of there mm-hmm. was an interview with Christian Bale where somebody called him Senor Bale a lot, and he seemed very uncomfortable with this. So it was mainly <laughs> people in the comment sections, which is where you know comment sections weren't hateful cesspits of humanity. They were just members of the community joining in with each other, constantly posting weird gifts of Christian Bale, and then he had like. I've seen your bail. You've seen your bail. And I just kind of view it as now. So I was a teenager in the, yeah, the mid-aughts. Now I think if I were a parent, I would ban technology from my child's room. But I just don't <laughs> think we were having those conversations back then. And I think, I think also everyone at all points says, oh, I wish I had read these books or gosh I should have watched this box set or I've never seen this film um, and I have that in absolute spades for my teenage years it truly I mean think of all the books I'd read I once logged into my uh, local library account and you can see all of your borrowing history and I've had the same library account since I registered at my local library age about five and it shows this or you know regular borrowing until i hit my mid-teens and then there's one page where it's like four books across five years and i think that that is a tragic a tragic indictment of why the internet is terrible i was gonna say reading between the lines it's like the internet happens and then that one time you borrowed great expectations (laughs) yeah and one of the things i borrowed in that time was a best of buffy compilation dvd oh Excellent. Yeah, Uh, which I didn't even watch all of. Oh no, you didn't watch? Well, no, I watched. (laughs) I watched. I think three and a half episodes because it had Hush on it, and my thought was, I'm a wuss. I'm not going to watch Hush because this is a really famously very scary scary episode. And uh, it was when everyone was out. I was maybe 16, so I was allowed to be left alone if everyone went out of an evening. And then the next day was a Saturday morning, and it was a bright, sunny day. Everyone was around. I thought, oh, I'll watch Hush. It's meant to be a great episode. You know, you can't really be too scared on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. And I was so scared, I had to turn it off halfway through. And from then on, (laughs) was not able to watch the credits for Buffy, which was difficult because we still had two seasons to go in the UK. And I had got it perfectly timed for the when the gentleman turned up in the credits for their like half a second shot I knew exactly when to just close my eyes and then just open them again so I didn't ever have to see them so you basically watched Buffy credits the way I watched the never ending story where it's just like whenever the Gamorks on screen you just close your eyes you yeah. hear that voice and you close your eyes and then the rest of the movie happens. Yeah, I mean, now I've used that training, which is that if I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I can perfectly do Gina's little dance in time with it because I've watched it so much that I know exactly when that comes in the credits. <laughs> the Gina boogie. Yeah, I mean, that's that's more for a... It's not like a boogie monster, it's a little boogie. Um, yeah, but for, for a very... You know, it's skill that I've put to good use in various different scenarios. Huh, I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. I can't wait for the for season three to drop on Netflix so I can Me actually watch it again. Neither. So I watched it all as it was broadcast, and uh, I then rewatched seasons one and two in a week, and really want season three <laughs> to come back so I can rewatch it simply for the episode where they get mumps, which I think is one of the finest episodes of television. Oh, it's so good. See, I, I approached it in a weird way where it was that at the time uh, my girlfriend and I weren't living together, so I would go to her house and she had Foxtel cable with a DVR that I didn't have. And at one point I was flipping through the channels and found Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm like, oh, this is that show that my friends are telling me about. I should probably check it, check it out. And I played it and it was a mid-season two episode. I thought it was, oh, this is really funny. Uh, mm. And uh, so I set it as a series link for the next time I came over so that it would record next time. And then I went home and watched the entire first season on Netflix kind of like you I mainlined it in a week and I'm like this is incredible this is wonderful and so every time I'd go over we'd watch the next couple of episodes and then that series ended and then so finally I was like okay well eventually they're going to put the beginning of season two onto Netflix so I'll get to see those first seven episodes before you know Doug Judy comes back that was like (laughs) that was the point I remembered that was where I started and so 
I was like, okay, I'll wait, I'll wait. And then finally I bit the bullet. I'm like, I can't do it. I have to watch. And so when I was getting ready to move, I went on iTunes and for $4 an episode, bought the first seven episodes of season two. And within a week, season two was in full on Netflix. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> but you you had it. Then they didn't show season three on Foxtel until much later. And we ended up missing it. So now I'm waiting for season three to pop in. Oh, it's really good. It's one of those shows that only gets better year on year, which is a rare occurrence, I would say. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, it, in a way that, because I worry with comedies, especially um, you know, half-hour television comedies, they seem to seem to get by later on in their sort of lifespan by taking this sort of high school talent show approach, where each person will kind of come to the front and say their thing, and then they'll be gone for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Or the other option is that they will accentuate the traits of the, that make that character who they are to the point of ridiculousness in order to get get rid of that diminishing returns. So you know. Oh, think so about you've seen like, late season Friends. <laughs> or you know, late season Thirty Rock. But yeah, with, with Friends, with Monica's cleanliness and all, yeah. all that stuff, where it's like we're going to amp this up until it becomes all this character is about. It's actually it's referred to as as flanderization. Yeah. Which is uh, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons going from being uh, just a slightly better guy than Homer, who's also religious, to being the basically the example of everything wrong with religion and everything that even con- contradicts the other thing, and his entire being is being the churchiest person that ever churched. Yes, and uh, like Joey on Friends, in the first season, he has little zingers that get up, one up on all the other characters, but by the end, you kind of worry that maybe he shouldn't ever be left alone, because... He's kind of become completely like his one character trait is this man has no common sense. He has no sense whatsoever. He is an idiot and it's worrying. And that's why like season friends is very bad. Yeah. I think I saw like one or one or two of the first of um, the first bit of Joey of his spinoff. And it was at the point where they had dumped him down <laughs> to the point where he was playing with action figures in a hot tub. Oh, and wow. I'm like, okay, you had, you have made him 10. Yeah. He's, like if okay, if you if that's the step you're gonna take, that makes the rest of his life extremely problematic. Yeah, it's become basically the plot of the film big, but as a TV series, <laughs> which, as many cracked articles will point out, has huge repercussions for that kid. Yeah, that poor child. And that kid will probably end up in therapy. Bad times. I feel like uh, I have led you astray from our topic. I feel like we of, have. Uh, we got distracted by television. <laughs> Which was pretty much what happened to me. And it, it definitely me as a, a teen. So the introduction of the internet completely enabled my habit of knowing loads about culture I have never seen or experienced firsthand. And I've been told off on many occasions for just reading the Wikipedia plot synopsis rather than watching a movie. It, it's funny that you say that because... On an episode that I just released, Christina Grace was talking about that very thing, but having read the great illustrated classics version of Yes, I was books, reading I was listening to that this week. <laughs> yeah, same idea. She's like, Oh, I know what that's about and it's like you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't really <laughs> <laughs> Moby Dick is just about a whale. There's nothing yeah. else. It's just about a man it's who just, wants a whale. It's just a man who hates an animal. No froofy symbolism. <laughs> But you, you mentioned the, um, the reading the synopsis of things. I was like that a bit mm. when, when I went to university because I went from having TV at home and having the rather sporadic TV, which is where if I was sitting down and watching, I would see that thing. But if not, I wouldn't because I had lots of siblings and parents that would also monopolize the television. And then when I went to university, uh, I had a TV in my, my residence room, but it wasn't connected to cable because we weren't allowed to get cable in the rooms. You had to go to the lounge to watch cable. And I never wanted to do that because it was full of terrible people. So I would just watch like my VHS tapes of things that I'd taped off TV or the ones I had. And so in order to keep up with my shows, uh, specifically Buffy, I got involved in my first ever message board and forums because I was following the episode synopses on a site called The Watcher's Diary and was like waiting with bated breath. I think I, I, I covered... The majority of season four that way, where I saw maybe one or two episodes as they aired, and the rest was all just reading synopses. I did that because it's a lot better now, but living in England and being interested in US culture, you used to have to wait. I mean, we still have to wait time-ish, but, you know, we would be 
at least like a year behind on some things. Mm-hmm. And then as the internet evolved, you'd realize, oh, well, they're getting this and yet it hadn't quite caught up with such, you know, simultaneous releases and stuff. So you'd be like, oh my God, this has come out. And sort of we get hyped up about various stuff to which I had no legitimate access. Yeah, it's, it's similar in, in Australia, although they're wising up a little bit because of the, we're frankly one of the most pirating countries in the world because for a while... <laughs> It would be that, you know, Game of Thrones wouldn't come out until two months after it had initially aired. And by then it would get low ratings and people would be like, oh, why is no one watching it? And they'd release the BitTorrent numbers and it would be like, oh, everyone's already seen it. Right. Yes. So yeah, now it's... we think we get it a day later now. Yeah, they, they've actually, um, Foxtel, which is has really low market penetration here. Very few people in, in this country overall have pay TV. There's, there's like five free-to-air channels and that's it. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that they release it on Foxtel at the same time as in the U.S., which means it comes out at like 10 in the morning here. (laughs) And so people will DVR it and watch it that night, Uh, except for I have one person in my office who basically has his Foxtel Go account on his phone. So he will watch it in his lunch break and he'll come back from lunch just busting to spoil someone. Oh. And I'm like, you're a monster. You're a terrible person. Yeah, what a... Everyone else has to wait to get home. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to live one's life. He can't wait, like, six hours? Apparently not. I once uh, (laughs) punched somebody because they were about to spoil a Harry Potter spoiler. (laughs) It was a light punch, I'd like to say. I didn't punch anyone out. Okay, okay, okay. I I, I was going to say, I'm I'm, I'm pulling this story back for a moment. How often do you hit people about literature? (laughs) Okay, it was one time, once, gosh, which book must it have been? So it was Harry Potter, and I was in year eight, so that must have been Order of the Phoenix, and, because I can picture exactly where I was in the classroom, and so, I mean, it was huge midnight releases, Mm -hmm. and we'd all stay up all night, or over the weekend reading it, and then you'd come in and be like, so have you read it, have you read it? And somebody was about to say something which I considered too close to announcing a significant death, shall we say. So I instinctively formed my hand into a fit. I mean, she wasn't hurt, but I just kind of like, ah! There was a, there was, I'm I'm not a violent person, but I really don't like Harry Potter spoilers. On your oath, you were not a violent person. Yeah. (laughs) And then my friend, this is because when Goblet of Fire came out, my best friend Tara did spoil me for Cedric Diggory's death. And uh, in recompense, she traded me a Clefairy on Pokemon. So I gave her like a Pidgey and she gave me a Clefairy in return, which was a really good trade. And you said, let that be a lesson to you. Pretty much. I mean, this was, you have to know, the 10-year-old Rosie, when, this is what I sh- sort of said when you said, what I was it like, what was it like as a child? Loved Harry Potter, loved Pokemon, is really happy that her Pokemon knowledge has come back into use. <laughs> like, she would be so thrilled if she could meet me now and I could say, I have had so many conversations where your expertise has been of use to me. Thank you, small Rosie. Where, where no one can remember what grass is weak to, apart from fire. Fire? Uh-huh. Uh... Poison? No, grass and poison often go together. Well, the thing is, I stopped playing at Silver, so there are all these new Pokemon that are all like weird, like, I don't know, cheese variety. <laughs> there like is paper. actually a cheese I one. I don't know what. Oh my god, I thought that was a joke. There is a, a, a literal a literal bag of garbage. Oh, I've got that as a Pokemon card. <laughs> yes. There, there is one that's an Easter Island head with a, with a false nose on. You know... Just because you can doesn't mean you should, and I think somebody should have said that to the Nintendo company. That's not even bringing in the whole gothic Lolita Pokemon that they have. Oh no! It is it is it is basically just an early aughts goth woman with with lots of frills. Oh no! <laughs> How are you meant to remember them all? I mean, I find I will go up to two hundred and fifty-one. That is all I will accept. <laughs> Hang on, I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna drop a picture of this goth Pokemon into the chat so that you can see. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so excited! <laughs> Small Rosie loved Pokemon. Went on a school trip to France, and I remember the excitement with which best friend Tara and I, sitting on the coach, uh, decided I would play the Elite Four. Oh my goodness, what is go? Oh, it has evolutions. Yep. Oh no. Oh dear. I don't understand when they do the weird little humanoid ones. Yeah, like Jinx. Oh, oh, here we go. The the three are Gothita, Gotharita, and Gothitelle. <laughs> I currently hate everything, 
and wish it would end. I mean, I have to say, at least unlike Jinx, it's not racially charged. That's true. So, but, oh, oh, the Pokemon company. <laughs> so you were talking about a trip to France before I broke your brain. Oh, yeah. Uh, I played the, the, I was like, oh, now's the time. We're going to do the Elite Four. And the excitement of playing the Elite Four as we drove literally under the sea to mm-hmm. a different country. I thought it was a big gamble and I beat them. And then I proceeded to beat them uh, following six times in the, the week. <laughs> Ugh, it was a great week. I don't really care what happened in France. I have almost no memory of what we did in France. Except I, was that when I rode a bike? I don't ride a bike, so it's sort of really, <laughs> these things stick out as big memories. But mainly it was playing Pokemon. And every morning we'd wake up and you know the little, um, like Game Boy Colors could do what was it wasn't Bluetooth thing it was like infrared yeah, connections yeah. you could get a mystery gift every day from your friend so that was our priority every morning Tara and I would wake up and trade Pokemon gifts and then be like oh culture now <laughs> now we've got to look we've got to go past many people with strings of onions on the front of their bicycles God I can't can't I just be trading Pokemon <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> a very important Pokemon question and after that I'm going to ask you a very important Harry mm-hmm. Potter question so be prepared. Oh my god, this is so exciting to me. <laughs> All right, first off, what was your starter Pokemon? Pikachu. Oh, so you started at yellow. Yes, and then, so I did yellow, silver, and then crystal. So, and my silver starter was Cyndaquil. Okay. So that's a fire one. Right, so my first Pokemon game was yellow on a Pokemon-themed Game Boy Color, which is yellow on the front, blue on the back, and then the little red light, the power light, is Pikachu's cheek, and he's printed on the front of the Pokemon. <laughs> oh my god, that's light. amazing. It's really cute. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cute. And so somewhere Andrew Cunningham is jumping up and down because that was his Pokemon first Pokemon game, too. I know, I know. It's the best one because, you know, I got introduced to Pokemon through one of the worst television series I've ever seen. Oh God, it's so I went terrible. back to try and rewatch it when they put it on Netflix and it's so bad and every episode is literally the same. Mm-hmm. Especially those early ones where it's like, meet a Pokemon, learn a lesson. Team Rocket turn up. And they're blasting off again. Yeah. And it's just like, guys, you have a talking Meowth. Why Why are you not exhibiting him for cash money? I saw I saw a Tumblr, a Tumblr post where they're like, Meowth is the real hero of the Pokemon anime because he transcended his species, learned to speak and walk upright, which no Meowth had ever done. Why are we not making shows about this cat? You know what? He was he was ahead of his time because he didn't know that the internet was run on cats. As now, if that series started, everyone would be like, screw this electric mouse. Show me the talking gold cat. It's got gold on its face and it talks and walks like a human child. <laughs> With weird speech impediments. Yeah, I mean, well, come on, he's a he's a meowth. He's learned, he's he's had to str- struggle hard to to speak. So, what is my Harry Potter question? Because I'm really excited as a child right now. <laughs> well, is it, I suppose two questions. Initially, mm-hmm. what of course, what house are you? So I have this is this is a great story of personal growth. Excellent. Uh, you've tapped into a really good anecdote here. Anecdote. I always thought I was a Slytherin, and I was really. I was basically aspirational Slytherin. I was like, yeah, definitely a Slytherin. And then in the last two years, I was like, what? hang on, this is a lie. I just wanted to be a Slytherin because I thought they were cool. I'm definitely a Ravenclaw. Um, so I'm, I'm 100% a Ravenclaw, and which is awkward because I own a lot of Slytherin memorabilia. How many scarves do you have? <laughs> I actually don't own any scarves, which as a knitter is kind of embarrassing, but I do have a tie. And I had a cardigan, but now I have a Ravenclaw cardigan because now I cosplay and I cosplay as Luna Lovegood because I don't know if you're aware, I'm the coolest person in the world. (laughs) See, I know you meant that sarcastically, but I'm really impressed. (laughs) And I've actually seen some pictures of your cosplays. Your cosplays are great, so cannot throw shade. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, as as someone whose hair does not do things, I can't do cosplay. Uh, And also as someone who has a beard, I am limited to characters with beards. So yeah, it's it is rather limited. Yeah, I could be Riker, I suppose, but that's about it. Oh, you'd make a yeah, yeah, Riker. See, I'm a glasses wearer who walks with a cane, and so when I cosplay, I'm just like, no, 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 no mobility aids today. I will just be blinking at people. So I otherwise the only glasses I could get, like the glasses based character I could wear be is uh, Sam Shikusky from Moonrise Kingdom because I have exactly the same glasses as him. I would be fine with that. I love him. He's the greatest. Just sort of sighed as you said that because that's such a lovely movie. 
I love it so hard. Oh, it's my favorite film. It's my favorite film of all films ever. I love it the most. That was one of those films where it's like, I actually, um, I bought it because I had, I was buying some Blu-rays and it was like three for two at JB Hi-Fi. And I'm like, I need a third one. And I bought it sight unseen. I had not seen it in the theater. And I bought it. And one day at home, I'm like, I have a whole afternoon waiting for laundry. And I just put it on and, and turned out the lights and turned off my phone and just watched Moonrise <sighs> Kingdom. And it was amazing enough that the next time my girlfriend came over, I'm like, we're watching this movie. This movie yes. is amazing. To, to go back to the actual theme of your show, as a child, I this, it grew out very very much. I knew as a child, I do not like unhappy endings. I do not like unresolved endings. I like my favorite thing is a movie credits, which shows you where they all go, like in Sister oh, Act. Yes. Moonrise Kingdom for me, this is my thesis of why it is a much better film than the Grand Budapest Hotel, because uh, if I may briefly discuss the ending, the final line is see you tomorrow. And it's all about optimism and although it's not as a result ending because I'm now a grown-up and can deal without things having really neat tied with a bow endings but it's all about optimism and happiness whereas the Grand Budapest Hotel ends in garbage if you ask me yeah it, the Grand Budapest Hotel was a bit of a shaggy dog story where it's like all the there was so much mm-hmm. fun in the in the middle part and then it's like oh well hey it's over <laughs> it's it's over and probably the Nazis won anyway so ooh. Yeah, whereas Moonrise Kingdom is beautiful and the best film ever. In fact, I'm looking at Skype, which is surrounded by my Moonrise Kingdom wallpaper. So, <laughs> And hey, and if anyone else doubts you, you can challenge them to a wine drinking and wood chopping contest. Yeah, I would win that. I, <laughs> I would probably fail that, but yeah. I'd... I have faith in you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, what is my next Harry Potter question? I love quizzes and youth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, the next one is also a fairly obvious question. What would be your mm-hmm. Patronus? Oh, I don't know if it really sums me up, but my favorite animal. Um, I, I love badgers, and not because of the Hufflepuff thing. I just think they're the best animals in the world, mm-hmm. and I would really like a badger because, right, maybe this is the thing, that they're really cute, and they're all like, they do this thing where they dust up the ground in front of their, um, when they're pulling things towards a little set, so it's like this little cute bum shuffle, and they're all cute, and their badger babies are the bit greatest, but they're also vicious bastards. I was about um, to say, and that's why I love badgers. as nails. Yeah, and they are Britain's largest carnivore. But they're also super adorable. So I think, you know, I'd whip out a Patronus and everyone would be like, oh, Rosie's being twee in Woodland. And then it would rip their faces off. <laughs> Excellent. So actually it does really work. Oh, they're the greatest animal. <laughs> I love badgers so much. And the thing is, I think uh, badgers get such a, a wonderful depiction in fiction, which rhymes and that put me off a little bit for a second. <laughs> like, I remember reading Sword in the Stone. And there's a moment with it, like where he goes into a badger set and like debates the creation of the world and philosophy and stuff, and that tied in with Wind in the Willows, mm-hmm. which I also loved as a child because I'd watch it with my grandfather. And this idea of the badger being this intrinsic animal, and their whole concept is, well, we hold on, and we're lovely, but don't cross us. Yes, I I love I. Uh... I love the wind and the waves. In fact, I would say that part of my my growth from Slytherin to Ravenclaw is also beginning to associate less with Mr. Toad and more with Ratty. Oh, personal growth <laughs> through fiction, am I right? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was I was just in an episode that I was just that I was just finished editing. I was talking to Kate Raculia about you know when you were a kid watching Sesame Street, and mm-hmm. most kids think they're an Ernie, and then they grow up and find they're a Bert. Oh, okay. You think oh you're I'm fun loving and gregarious and energetic, and then you grow up and you're like just. Just, just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. I just my... want my bottle caps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and you start to like, like you were saying, sympathize less with Ernie and going. Just, he has clearly indicated that he does not want you to jump on the bed. Yeah. Why are you jumping on the bed? I'm really deep into Elmo's Twitter at the moment. That's a real passion of mine right now. Oh really? Because <laughs> it's yeah, because it it's all written in the voice of Elmo, but it's obviously written by. A 27 year old social media manager and they're all like my mom has to count the characters in my tweets haha because i cannot count to 140 haha elmo loves twitter and i like to read it in the morose voice of a disaffected <laughs> adult my mother has to count all the characters in my tweets but it's also just really joyful it's because he doesn't tweet very often so maybe every couple of days you'll just see somebody who unapologetically loves life and i i really like elmo i think he has a great approach to his world that is excellent. And 
my girlfriend grew up in Japan and so did not have Sesame Street. Oh, no. Instead, watched a, a lot of wonderful formative animes like the original Dragon Ball before it became Dragon Ball Z and Doraemon and, and Pun Man and stuff like that. Uh, so I got to show her. At the age of 34, I got to be her gateway into <gasps> Grover, both as a waiter yes. and as Super Grover. Have you shown her Bert's blanket? I have not, but I you hear a click of a pen. I am writing that down. Bert's. That's a great one. That's blanket. a really good song. Everyone in my family knows that it now that it takes an awful lot of nuts to make a jar of peanut butter, thanks to Sesame Street. So she might not know <laughs> how many nuts it makes to make a jar of peanut butter if she's not seen Sesame Street. Oh, and I'm God. concerned that that knowledge is missing from her life. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to roll it out totally. <laughs> Oh, Bert's blanket is amazing. Just going to put that out there. It's either, just to hear you sing in that tone, and my brain has already started singing Dance Myself to Sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I dance myself to sleep. And when they're teaching, is it, they're talking about the letter L, and Ernie is trying to get him to sing songs that go la 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 la, and then do a, a, like a lovely word that starts with L, and Bert being Bert goes la 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 linoleum. That's a fun... <laughs> Bert is normcore as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting that it's only, I have to say, even now in my mid-twenties, I'm realizing how much, just how much US culture we get in the UK at the expense of any other country. And that I can pretty much talk most US culture with my US friends. Whereas if I were then to say, but what about this British thing? It would not necessarily translate so well whereas you know i grew up watching sesame street my mum loves sesame street we're, we're a big muppets fa- family muppet christmas carol every year your american friends would not be able to tell you what happened on neighbors yeah i mean i well because that used to be on straight after cbbc which was right so this was the children's broadcasting children's bbc which now is digital only but it used to be on the main channels and you'd get blue peter at five and then 5.25 would be news round, and then 5.35 you get Neighbours. And I never really watched Neighbours, but I can tell you a lot about Toadfish and his ponytail. <laughs> because things just permeated our culture. See, I've learned about Neighbours because I've spent the last 13 years living in Australia, and it is impossible to get away from it. It's everywhere. Oh, wow. You get Neighbours, and you get Home and Away, and you get yep. all, all of their ver- varying competitors, and all, all of the various heat between the fact that uh, Carly Minogue and Jason Donovan own all their appearances on Neighbours and have them cut out of all the greatest hit shows. What? Yep. That's, I mean, fair play to them, but that is madness. That is complete madness. <laughs> so you will never see Kylie come back for a reunion unless they roll a dump truck full of money in front of her house and even then it would be a near thing wow oh my goodness well i suppose she is kylie yeah whereas delta goodrum still shows up whenever they ask her to but she's not a mononym she's not you know (laughs) kylie is kylie whereas she's not just delta i think to certain people she is but i'm not sure i'd want to meet those people at a party to her mother (laughs) i assume and to you know small fan communities on the internet you just brought something up so i've normally wouldn't ask this but i feel like we've, we've got a good conversation here going so i'm going to say yeah yeah how often were you full named as a child by your mother or, or father well did you get the the full do you know what not really very often and but because just because that's not there i would just get sort of rosy and de- angry degrees um but because rosy is short for rosemary there are real stages of full names you can go for me so rosemary is i suppose i would get a little bit more it's a little stricter but nobody ever really yelled rosie alice fletcher <laughs> but yeah rosemary I, I i've occasionally i like to think about the fact that you know technically rosie fletcher isn't a, a legal entity whereas rosemary fletcher is and that she's off living this parallel life in all of the <laughs> government records so i'm like who's rosemary fletcher <sighs> but it's me well with a name like like rosemary alice fletcher you imagine you would be involved in some sort of mystery series Involving a cottage yes. and an allotment oh, yeah. and a body being found. Which, I mean, I would super love because Rosemary is... Well, Rosie is the name of a, a adorable child or a jolly woman in her 50s who is bringing you a pie. <laughs> but yeah, Rosemary, Rosemary Fletcher, she's got a cottage and a nose for a mystery, shall we say. <laughs> and she's very active in her local community and people underestimate her to their detriment. 
Yes, constantly. Oh, God, I really want to live this lifestyle. I'm going to run <laughs> off to the country. I would love this. I keep telling my housemate that my fantasy is to buy a cottage and not tell anyone where I live, which is probably a, some kind of warning sign. But yeah, if Rosemary Fletcher were there, you know, she'd bake cakes and they'd be they'd be great but she'd also use them as a weapon to get into people's homes so she could nose around to try and work out who had killed the uh, the vicarage assistant <laughs> recently in the past six months i've reread the kraken awakes by john window which is the same author who wrote uh, day of the triffids and it's sort of this alien invasion story and at one point literally the main character decides the stress is too much and he goes off to a cottage where there's no phone for three chapters oh and I'm like, this is an exceptionally British way of responding to an alien <laughs> invasion. It's stressful and I'm worried. So I went up to the cottage for a bit and then came back down when I was ready. I mean, we are a nation who in a crisis has tea. That is just the end point of uh, escalating that up to rather going, oh, okay, well, I've had a cup of tea, so that's not worked. I better go to a cottage for three weeks. And wait for all this to blow over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's how we won the war. We just kind of... Let it happen. We all just went to cottages. That's not necessarily historically accurate, but it's kind of how we like to treat it now. Everyone's like, oh, we just kept calm and carried on, and Jerry just stopped themselves. <laughs> Go figure. I have another question now. <laughs> See, I, I feel like yes. I should be structuring this as, as a quiz for the rest of this. Please do. If Rosemary Fl In Rosemary Fletcher's cottage, if it were to have a, a wood-burned sign above the front door, what would be the name of this cottage? Mm. Yes, this is interesting. I think about this quite a lot, actually. <laughs> I've thought about something with the word set because I love badges, but I don't think you just call it the set. I mm -hmm. think that's a little tedious, but I don't know. I mean, I've thought because my plan is to publish a book and then live off the profits in a small village. We've all got dreams. It's maybe name it something after something in the book, but not like so much like this is the house my book built. But yeah, but maybe just the set. For, we'll start with that. So, for example, if you were J.K. Rowling, it would be the borough rather than being Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. Or I was going to say Harry's house, but that's a terrible name for a home. But yeah, some some kind of reference because it would be nice. And and but yeah, right now it would have to be badger themed, I guess. See, the only ones I can ever think of are just terrible puns. You know, the <laughs> oh, ones that, I'm interested. Like, you know, I'm interested in these. <laughs> well, even just stuff like like done roaming. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you know, we're we're a Welsh castle, but also it's a pun about how we used to travel and now we don't. Yes, I listened to a, a great radio program and the BBC Radio 4 series Word of Mouth about this earlier in the year, about how people name all their houses and how loads of them are weird puns, or the way that people in the city will make their... Or if you were building a set of houses in the suburbs, say in the 30s, you'd give them all these names that made it sound like they were very quaint and country-fied, but actually they were on the outskirts of a major city. See, the opposite happens in Australia, where it's like, in, in places like Newtown, where I've lived for about 10 years. That's an imaginatively lamed place, Newtown. Oh, yes. Well, the other way to name things in Australia is just name them after places in the UK. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> or, or just name them after Macquarie. Well, it's named after all those towns, I guess. Just town. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. where we live. Town. Instead, what happens is you end up with, because they were originally cottages for workers, which then became mm. inner city suburbs in Sydney because uh, there's a very good book called Leviathan, written by John Birmingham, which is sort of the history of Sydney as if it were a person, like a biography of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's quite, it's, it's very good. And they basically said that all of the, the houses have names like Ascot, and these lovely, very kind of high-end, or you'll see things with just like writs written into the, into the, um, <laughs> the thing. And I'm like, you're, you're one cottage that's been split down the middle to make two smaller cottages. You are not an Ascot. Go away. Buckingham Cottage. Yeah, something to that effect. I, uh, having just turned around and looked at my bookshelves, I have an addendum to my housing, which is that I would quite like to call the cottage Blandings, but like a really small cottage, because uh, I have my complete selection of, well, it's Jews and Worcester, but I really like PG Woodhouse. Mm -hmm. And um, I've just renamed the Wi-Fi network in my house Blandings, and I'm very <laughs> proud of this, because, you know, it's like a, a nod to it but you can't really call it like blanding set. That sounds like uh, English parlance. You might refer to somebody as sort of, I don't know, the Cheltenham set to uh, some hideous yes. social group. Yes, the, the blending set either sounds like a skin condition or a terribly boring set of people. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I, I can't take yeah. my sheep to market. He's got blanding set something fierce. <laughs> exactly that, like licky end. <laughs> 
It's one of those phrases I've read in Terry Pratchett books that I've never actually heard out loud, and it's just terrible. Yeah, well, I had this this week because I was going through some recipes that I had clipped from Women's Weekly because I am aspiring to live my little village life. And mm-hmm. I asked my housemate if I should put the clafouti in the traditional <laughs> English pudding section because I thought it was like clafouti dumplings, which is what they have in Discworld, and she had to break it to me. There's actually clafouti, which is a French pudding. <laughs> and I was like, but it's... No, it's clafouti. She's like, clafouti? Clafouti. And See, so I'm now really annoyed at Nanny Og for leading me astray on my puddings. Oh, Nanny Og wouldn't do that. Although clafouti dumplings oh, always sound savoury. But... Yeah. Like like sort of those meaty dumplings like you get in Germany. Yeah. Although, as I realized halfway through you were explaining that, that... Uh, you were saying something that I'd always read as clafoutis. Yes. Because I'd never seen it in context. It was always just among a list of other things. I w- it never occurred to me whether it was French or anything. It was just, okay, clafoutis. Okay, whatever. Yeah, move on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I took that and clouty dumplings and just merged them into one clafouti dumpling thing and um, got neither really accurate. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently it's a really swanky, like, French pudding that's full of eggs, and I was like, yeah, it's some kind of hearty northern thing, right? No. <laughs> Not at all. Well, speaking of place names and Terry Pratchett, did you catch the name of the gods? Is Dun Manifestin? Oh, that's really good. Isn't it? Oh, that is so good. And it's, and, but, but when read normally, you just think, okay, it's Dun because it's, you know, it's the name of it, like a castle or something. And it was yeah. done manifesting, and it's like, oh, it's the, you, you jerk, you jerk, you were too good. Yeah, it's like loads of people picked up on diagonally, diagonally, mm-hmm. but when mm-hmm. you realize, oh, nocturne alley. And that's where all the shady people live. Yeah. Yeah, and because Sirius Black's house is a grim old place, so it's called Grim Old Place, Ugh. and that's actually not great. That is really, oof. Joe, somebody and, needed an editor. And just, just as you say, Sirius Black, my brain goes, I am Sirius Black, as in, like, I am curious. <laughs> <What's it? I'm... laughs> oh, God, I've lost it in my head. What's the title? The real one. I just went to I am Furious Yellow, which is a Simpsons episode, which is not the real name of the thing. <laughs> oh, God, what is I, it? What? Oh, no. The All original... I can think of is Curious George, but I don't think that's what you're <laughs> aiming for. <laughs> Hang on. I am curious. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts now. See, again, I'm just finding The Simpsons. Oh, Sirius Black. Yeah, he was great until he was Gary Oldman. I know. I, oh, oh it's, I am, it is I Am Curious Yellow. That was it. It was a Swedish art house film. God, that was a long way to go for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, that's all the Harry Potter films. Is It was great until it was... And in fact, mm-hmm. so I, I, I cannot express to you how much as a teenager I loved Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it consumed... Well, this is one of the good things about technology being introduced to Teenage Rosie, which is that my friends and I, our main activity was we made films of Harry Potter. There were about ten of us playing a cast of thousands, so I played Ron Weasley, Severus Snape, Rita Skeeter, Bellatrix Lestrange, the voice of the Sorting Hat, you know, all of these characters, and we would just run around in really cheap wigs in our own school uniform <laughs> and make these films. And I would say that they held more artistic merit than some of the official ones, because those are frustrating for a, a fan. <laughs> Super frustrating. In fact, I've not even seen either of the Deathly Hallows ones, and I don't care, and I have no interest in seeing the play, and, you know, although Small Rosie would be really pleased that my Pokemon knowledge is coming back, she would be so confused as to why I'm not so interested in Harry Potter anymore. She'd be like, but this was all you wanted. It's still going on. This is what you dreamed of. And I'm like, well, you, you, be careful what you wish for, because we don't need all of this. Now I'm just picturing ghostly fingers reaching for you going, but this is what you wanted forever, <laughs> forever, oh. forever. And I get trapped in a, a Groundhog Day, except every day it's a new plot point that Joe Rowling releases. She's like, did you know that Cho Chang was actually, uh, she had a peg leg? <laughs> <laughs> like this character, it turned out later that uh, it was all in the past and he invented the, the scissors. <laughs> That's what's sitting on my desk. Uh, yeah, like she just, she loves to reveal things where you're like, oh, did you, I mean, your books are pretty large. You could have probably put that in there somewhere. Hey, I've invented another wizarding school on another continent again. Yeah. So, oh, good. <laughs> Who are you appropriating this time? Yes. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That was, it's I like, please, please stop. It's like, I understand why you're please doing stop. it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also her 
I really enjoy her Robert Galbraith books. I really like the casual vacancy. She doesn't she doesn't need to do this. She can she can let it go. Well, she can't obviously, but uh, she could. <laughs> if if you know, we're not we're not requiring this. But I would I would actually recommend the the first movie of the Deathly Hallows because it's it is the most plot driven of the books and of the films. Okay. Where because it's it's essentially they are on the run the entire book. So it's it, it's it actually narrows it down so well to the point where it's just... yeah because all I remember from the book is that they were camping yeah and like it wasn't so much on the run as a really bad camping holiday I've only read Deathly Hallows once you can see where my interest in the series <laughs> waned yeah and yeah they, they go camping and Hermione has her purse of holding that has everything mm-hmm. in it because she's the real hero of course she is ah oh, well actually Neville is the real hero I am a devoted Neville fan. Ugh, what a babe. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's gotten kind of scarily attractive now. Oh, very much so. Uh, so what is your favorite Harry Potter book? Well, my favorite Harry Potter book, um, gosh, I, they've all kind of blended together because I did, I came to them rather late because um, I initially had, I was a little too old for them when they first came out as they were being mm-hmm. presented. And I eventually watched all of the movies over a weekend up and because there was the release of the Half Blood Prince, and I was meant to be playing Hagrid at the bookstore opening, even though I am five foot nine and not terribly tall. Yes, and I did not have a beard then. It was more, hey, we're gonna make the new guy do this. <laughs> and so I figured, well, I, in case anyone asks me a question, I should probably, you know, have some knowledge. Then watched all the films in a row. Uh, then found a. a heavily discounted box set of of the books and read my way through i think i'd have to say that uh, yeah i'd say goblet of fire is my favorite that is the correct choice oh good i'm, I'm glad i was there was a momentary <laughs> silence i'm like oh jesus what have i done yeah definitely uh, no it's i think it's primarily because yeah, no, furious <laughs> it's so structured it's like you have the tournament mm. and everything happens around the tournament and i actually quite liked for all that Mad-Eye Moody, spoiler alert for the Goblet of Fire, turns out to be Barty Crouch Jr. Uh, and David Tennant and his creepy tongue. I actually quite liked that interaction of this sort of iconoclast, paranoid person interacting with, with Harry. And also, yeah, again, the structure of the challenges. And I've, I've always liked that sort of story of, mm-hmm. uh, okay, here is a challenge we need to overcome. Here are a way we, here's the ways we use our wits and the skills we have to get through them. And Plus, of course, at that point, it, the book has hit its epileptic trees state where everything is splitting off and getting more complicated. And so, but it hasn't quite hit that that state of the later books where it's like, you know, 14 lines all waiting. Yes. Yeah, I think what's really good about it is that it's the first one where you really get a sense of the world beyond. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. But it's still a school story, whereas I feel that from the next one on, it's like, oh, it's just, there's so much world beyond and I don't need that much and it's out of control and she starts killing off characters with sort of like willy-nilly with a terrifying ease yeah and with curtains (laughs) I was just so annoyed I really 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 expected that Sirius Black would come back and it was to me completely bizarre that he didn't because it was all set up of like it's the department of mysteries he literally just goes behind a curtain this is clearly setting us up for something that we're going to see more of in the final book because it's all mysteries and how can you kill a man with drapes and then actually it's just no he just he's just dead through curtains and not just dead but dead back. in a sharp and anticlimactic and non-eventy sort of way it almost happens in yeah. passing and it's like that's that's cruel yeah and i Yes, it's very bizarre. It's all, you know, and then she kills off the Remus and Tonks by being like, "Oh, then there are their corpses. Bye." All of the named characters that die in that final battle, I was so mad because I understand. Yes, you're t- attempting to show us that war is hell and people can die, and that you know, not you're not going to see all of them because that's the nature of war. But these were people that we had committed to for a very long time, and that's not fair. Yeah. And also, um, I kind of knew that war was pretty bad without you just randomly killing off people who have a small child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that, it's that Joss Whedon thing, bringing it all back to Buffy that we first started talking about, where it's like, yeah, you can set up this wonderful relationship and it's lovely and sweet and you give it 
four episodes before something terrible happens. But in some ways, I feel that he does it better than Joe Rowling because it's always more like because you get the more of a setup and the deaths also you get more time on it. Yeah. Like uh, I was just discussing the Jenny Calendar oh, episode. I, which I is, saw that one uh, live and that. Oh, that shocked the hell out of me because the whole time I'm like, okay, okay. And then there's the setup and my first thought is, oh, like you'd ever do it. And then they do it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And of course the reveal is horrible and poor Giles. Yeah, it's really, it's, oh, it is a, it is a rough one. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Joe Rowling is just like, and then I walk past these corpses of people you love. Bye. Which is (laughs) not so good. So... Rosie, if people wanted to find you on the internet, where would they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Rosie at Large, which is my personal account. And then uh, my various projects are Rosie and Jessica's Day of Fun, my excellent podcast, which is uh, on all podcast distribution services or at rosieandjessica.co.uk or on Twitter at The Day of Fun Show. And my new newsletter is Oh So Pleasant, which is at Oh So Pleasant on Twitter or tinyletter.com forward slash Oh So Pleasant. So that's a good roundup, I think, of many ways in which you can track me down. It's excellent. And I would highly recommend people listen to Day of Fun. I actually hesitated for a very long time because I did that thing where I didn't subscribe, but I added a couple of episodes and it was sort of in my podcast queue for ages and ages. And finally, like one Sunday morning, I was out for a walk and I'm like, yeah, I think I'll listen to that. And that was the one where, uh, I don't know if it was you or Jessica, actually, I think it was you who made the the strong declarative statement that you had knitted a sock and that was problematic because you in fact had two feet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I still only have one sock of that pair, I think. <laughs> but I, it, it struck me and I'm like, A, that's adorable. B, it's deeply profound. And C, it's mm-hmm. correct. Technically correct, which is the yeah. best kind of correct. Oh, well, I, I'm glad that you found all of this in a, a throwaway remark. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm one of those podcast listeners. I warn people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for doing this, Rosie. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks once again to Rosie Fletcher for her time. When I asked Rosie for suggestions on what to put in this week's signature cocktail, her response was, quote, My drinking habits revolve around A, neat bourbon, and B, very pink cocktails where you can't taste the booze. So there's a challenge for you. Well, challenge accepted, Rosie. And as such, I'm going to present the Polyjuice. In a shaker full of ice, combine two ounces of dark Jamaican rum, one and one half ounces of cranberry juice, half an ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice, half an ounce of unsweetened pineapple juice, a quarter ounce of grenadine, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Shake vigorously for 30 seconds until frost forms on the outside of the shaker. Pour without straining into a double old fashioned glass and garnish with a sprig of mint. The results may vary from person to person, but this drink is almost always sweet, tart, and fruity, though you may wake up as someone else. Enjoy! is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you'd like to be a guest on The Math of You, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few extra dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified. By pledging as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to episodes, special gifts, and lots of other things. Also, I would really, really appreciate it. I'm still on my quest for iTunes reviews, so if you go to the country of your choice and leave an iTunes review and rating, I'll read it out in the show and give you a shout-out. Also, you have just under two weeks to get in your questions for the Math of Me mailbag special, as hosted by our very first guest, Margaret H. Willison. So send those through to themathofyou at gmail.com, or send them to me on Twitter. I promise I'll remember. Just make sure they come in before the 5th of November. Next week, I'll be talking to L. Collins, assistant editor of Comics Alliance, host of Into It with L. Collins, and co-host of the Hard Times podcast about space, science fiction aimed at kids, and what to do if your teacher is an alien. Join me, won't you? playing Leo Star Wars on the TV, but oh, she's pulled a great chair game. forward, so she's within, like, cords reach of the, of the receiver, so it's <laughs> these giant headphones on. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's distracting. I'll cut all this out. So Jessica, uh, ah, no, no, wrong person, because you said Jessica a moment ago. That's quite <laughs> all right. That happens, I mean, you're not a mo- mother, and she does that all the time, so it's quite okay. <laughs> I just had a complete mental blank for a segue. I'm going to take this opportunity to drink tea. Go for it. See, I learned very quickly that my first attempts would be like, oh, I would have a glass of water, but I'd put like cloth down so it wouldn't click when I put (laughs) it down. Uh, Except for then putting like loose cloth all over a table and trying to like blindly put down a glass of water is a bad idea when you have electrical equipment. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing nothing got shocked, but it was a terrible (laughs) experience. We have moments with Jessica where she's like, and now we'll both eat cereal and then cram some cereal in our faces and do the next segment. You can see we're very organized in our recording sessions. I was going to say, yeah, you, you got, and you sing as well, which is which, like sing. singing in stereo. Mm. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just get stuff off iTunes and do transitions, so it's like, I feel like I should, I should be putting more effort. Well, for ages we just had our jingles were just sung live, and then one episode I got bored and recorded loads of proper ones, and Jessica didn't necessarily know they were coming when she listened back to the episode, and she got me singing in many harmonies with myself. Uh, (laughs) She didn't say, what have you done, you've ruined our precious project, so that was okay. It sounds pretty good, because I've got one of those like call center head mics, which Jessica and I wear when we record, and we always look amazingly cool, uh, and <laughs> not at all like we are asked answering customer service inquiries. As someone who has worked in, in call centers for about the past 10 years, I can completely <laughs> understand. There, yep. there are varying levels of cool when it comes to headsets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, when I, I worked for a, a telco here, and we would go for training in the same center that had the Sony tech support people, and they got the best headsets because they got all the Sony Bluetooth ones. Oh, nice. Where, like, you know, you get up and make a cup of tea and still be talking to someone. And they, of course, um, used this because they would turn the break room TV, which had a PlayStation attached, and use wireless microphones and wireless headsets to still be on the phone and be playing Tekken in the break room. That is and every the dream. T- and I, I would walk past, like, on the way to training and, you know, learning about you know, how to mirror your customer and whatever, and look over and go, like, oh, you son of a bitch. You, you <laughs> awful person. I have to sit there with my terrible wired mic in the big pond office, and instead you're sitting here playing Tekken. But surely you. if you have to mirror your uh, customer's sort of language, playing Tekken is going to be terrible because you're going to be trying to calm somebody down and you're accidentally going to be sort of shouting <laughs> at them and you're getting finish him! You're like, <laughs> like, oh, how could he do that? That's ridiculous. That <laughs> yeah. was my combo, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
So what was for breakfast? Um, banana bread that I'd made that needed eating up. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a pretty good breakfast. Uh, we I, have speaking had of which, kind of- I, I do I do love that expression that it needs eating up because while it's completely logical, it does sound like you're doing the food a favor. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, there was. It's been really humid and rainy, so all of the food, like the cake, uh, it was homemade, and we also had some homemade bread in the house. I was like, "This is going to be a mold situation unless we eat all of these baked goods." What a terrible, what a terrible <laughs> burden on us all. So I've been it's eating. It's an awful job, but I'm sure you oh, have I it know. in you. Yeah, I did manage to push on through to eat cake for breakfast. 